Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Reaching Out Radio International and this week's live broadcast of The Way of Healing. My name is Susan Brozak. I'm a licensed clinical Christian psychotherapist and founder of Healing Word Psychotherapy Services, my private practice. Thank you for joining me this evening and I'd like to get started in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for each one listening tonight, Lord God. We pray that the words that are spoken would be uh, your words, Lord God, your words of truth. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do um, in the hearts of those that are um, that tonight listening to uh, this broadcast in all parts of the world, Lord God. We pray that you'd receive all the glory for it as we look at peace versus anxiety, Lord, and we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. We thank you, God, that your word teaches us how to walk in peace, Lord God, a peace that passes our understanding. So I just pray right now, Lord God, that as we prepare to go forward with this message, that you would anoint it, Lord God, that you would push aside all distractions, Lord, and just enable our path tonight as we go forward to speak about you and the truths that are contained in your word and how they can help us get through our lives in a way that is both pleasing to you and healthy for us. We just ask all these things now in your glorious and holy name. Amen. Tonight, we're going to look at peace versus anxiety. And in particular, we're going to look at how do we walk in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, like I had just mentioned in my prayer, when there are so many uh, circumstances in our lives and in our world that have the potential to cause anxiety and fear. So we're going to look at the path to peace and how to overcome anxious thought patterns that we may have adopted through various sources at different points in our lives. And then as we learn how to operate from a platform of peace instead of a platform of of fear, circumstances might still be tumultuous around us, but we can rest in the midst of them as we understand how we can obtain and live in God's peace. So let me start tonight by sharing with you a passage from from Philippians, and this is going to be Philippians 4, 6 through 9. It's one that many of us are very familiar with, but I want to start out on this note just by reading these five or these four verses. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, 
whatsoever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or see in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So the peace of God is really a medicine for the fear-afflicted and the anxious soul. So God's peace involves basically three steps, and I'm going to talk us through these steps. And they may sound uh, oversimplified, but I'm going to explain each one. And um, there's a lot that goes into each one, even though they sound simple on the surface. So step one is to pray. So first, we use prayer to connect with God, and this is an authentic relationship based on biblically accurate images of who God is that we see in Scripture. The Lord Jesus taught us to pray to our Father in heaven. That uh, should give us the concepts of protection, strength, security, encouragement, attributes that we would think of as our Abba Father, which literally means Daddy God, our Father God. Um, And some of us have trouble at times um, viewing God as a loving Father because we might tend to project attributes of our earthly Father onto our Heavenly Father. So, for example, what I mean by that is if you had a Father that, an earthly Father that was um, uninvolved or distant or harsh or cold, or any number of things that uh, left you feeling um, void or, or in some way um, disconnected from your father, we tend to subconsciously think of our father God in a similar fashion, and that's not accurate. So it's so key that we really learn the attributes of who our father God is and not project uh, onto him what we may have grown up with in terms of an earthly father. Um, So that's a key, and I could go off on that for the next half hour, but that's not our topic tonight, Uh, but it's a very important topic. So instead of focusing on God with the attributes of uh, protection, strength, security, encouragement, and so forth, for a fearful or anxious person, they might conceive of God in an entirely different way with inaccurate uh, images, like I mentioned, distance, coldness, spitefulness, carelessness, or anything that we might be projecting onto God from our earthly father. But the scriptures, and especially the Psalms, um, often use imagery to help us understand so that our concepts of God will be corrected and get deep into our inner self. So you can read the Psalms as sort of a lead-in time to your prayer life, and it's actually a good way to start out if you don't know where to start in prayer. Um, and as you read the Psalms, they'll have a calming effect on your mind, especially if you're going into prayer from a, a, a place of anxiety or fear or um, unsettledness, restlessness. And the Psalms will help kind of prepare your mind and soul um, to be able to go into prayer from that aspect of um, being still before the Lord and open to how he would speak to you and kind of settling in with him versus rushing into a anxiety-based type of prayer. So also we can overcome fear and walk in peace by unleashing in God's presence the vast range of our human emotions that have been bottled up within us. 
in order for God to heal us, and, and I do a lot of this in my practice, I explain to patients that emotions have to come up and out of us. And oftentimes I'll ask patients what the definition of an emotion is and they're not allowed to use the word feeling. <laughs> and it's amazing um, how many people can't really define what an emotion is without using the word feeling. And so an emotion is really um, from the root word emote. Mote stands for motion which or to move, and emote means out or away from yourself. So an emotion is a pocket of energy that's meant to be experienced, but then to be moved out and away from yourself. So what does that mean in practicality? It means that when you feel something, don't negate it, don't discard it, and invalidate it right away. Acknowledge your feelings, all, the whole range, the, the positive emotions and the negative ones. Acknowledge that it's there, but then don't sit in it. Don't make major decisions on your feelings. So acknowledge them and then give them over to the Lord. But a lot of people are what I call professional stuffers, where they will stuff their emotions down because they've learned that it's not safe or it's not okay or it's not permitted to express emotion. And so that causes a, a whole range of, of problems down the road, um, especially when you stuff power-packed emotions like anger or rage, uh, because those things can actually cause changes at a cellular level and bring on, believe it or not, autoimmune disorders or other physical illnesses. So it's so important that we know that we can express to move our emotions out away from ourselves after we've acknowledged them. Um, so... Uh, our Lord Jesus himself, facing the call to take on himself the wrath of God against our sins, thought that his soul was, and I'm quoting, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, as stated in Matthew 26:38. Um, he gained strength in the Father's presence as he agonized in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that uh, means the uh, the pressing down, um, the olive trees in Israel, and, and really the pressing down um, of of what was being sort of uh, pressed down in the Lord as he travailed in prayer in that garden right before his ultimate goal of going to the cross. So because of this, Christ himself walked the path of the cross with dignity and control because of the strength he received in prayer um, that night before he went to the cross. And he's our example and our hope. So this is all to say that part of walking the path of peace is to not stuff emotions down, but rather to experience them and, and uh, cry out to God if we need to and turn them over to the Lord because we don't have a high priest that can't sympathize with us. He can sympathize with us having been tempted in every way and yet was without sin. So he knows what we're experiencing. He knows every temptation, every pull, every feeling. He's experienced it all but was without sin. And when we're able to process our emotions in a healthy way, that creates more of a sense of peace within our, our soul and our spirit. Um, we also need to learn how to grow in the area of gratitude and thanksgiving. This builds a positive emotional tone, um, which is essential for good mental health, and it, in, it encourages the expectation that God will provide in the future 
just as generously as he has for us in the past. So we know that God's faithful and we can turn to him in times of anxiety so that we can obtain his peace. So gratitude is also a component of walking in peace, the one that we might not think of right off the bat when we think of what it means to walk in peace. And finally, if you are anxiety-ridden, you can also include the element of confession in your prayer time. And I'm not just talking about confession of sins, although that's absolutely something that's part of repentance, but by confession in this case, I'm uh, referring to speaking the same word that God already knows about us. So to confess in the original um, language means to say the same word as. And when we do this, we free ourselves up for God to heal us. So if we go to the Lord, for example, and say, Lord, I'm really hurting over such and such, or I was really offended by such and such, what we're doing is we're coming to him, we're speaking out or praying out, rather, um, what he already knows to be true about us because he's omniscient, he knows everything about us, we're coming into agreement with that and telling him that, and that kind of opens the door then for him to go to work and begin to heal our heart. So there's power in just simply stating um, what God already knows. It does something for us. So keep in mind also that a healthy reverential fear of God puts human fear into perspective, and perspective is what we need when fear faces us. By reverential fear of God, that's, that's different than some people who have what is called sort of a, a phobic fear of God, almost a, a fear that, oh, gosh, he's going to strike me down with lightning if I make one wrong move. That's not reverential fear necessarily. That's more of a phobic fear. God does not want us as his children to be in phobic fear of him, but we absolutely need to have a reverential fear of him and his awesomeness of who he is. Um, in fact, standing in the presence of sickness or in accidents or hardship, when we're stripped of all of our earthly hope, there's nothing that can help us in our apprehension like a clear view of who God is. And that's where it's really important to study the attributes of God. That's something that I frequently also will uh, give to patients is a list of God's names because his names represent all the different attributes that he um, that he possesses. And so focusing on who he is versus our idea of who we think he is is really important so that we have an accurate conception of who our God is. So let's look now at the second step in discussing how to have peace in God. Step two is to monitor our thoughts so that they line up with the truth of his word. And this practice doesn't require a higher level of intelligence to overcome fear, but what it requires is a higher level of discipline. As the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians 4, 8, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is kind of the basis of my practice as a cognitive behavioral therapist that practices from a Christian perspective. Um, the renewing of the mind, because the mind is the battlefield between our flesh and our spirit. So Romans 12, 2 says, um, he talks about the renewing of the mind, and to do this in a disciplined manner, replacing false thinking with truth-based thinking. And I'll get into that uh, a little bit more um, in a few minutes. So here are some common myths 
that people tend to adopt that can kind of clutter our minds if we're anxious and fearful. These are what I consider to be enemies of peace. So some of these myths, first of all, um, an example might be you may think that God won't help you. And this is obviously a myth, and it doesn't stand up under the scrutiny of Scripture or um, of our past experiences, even if we, we look in the past and say, oh, God didn't help me here. We don't have the perspective that God has. His ways and his thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts. So it really represents an accusation against God that false and goes against his very nature. Um, another faulty way of thinking is to say that the world is only full of danger and evil. And certainly there is plenty of danger and evil in the world. There is also good and beauty in the, in the world. So God, who is sovereign, spreads his grace in great measure to all and a greater grace to his children. So even in the times that we're living in now, with all the uncertainty, all the evil we're seeing, all the different things going on, um, the dangers, the, the new issues that have arisen, um, there is still good in the world, there's still beauty in the world, and so much to be thankful and grateful for. And we are to set our mind on, on issues that are um, uh, joy and, and filled with peace and bring us to a point of drawing closer to God. If we set our minds on things that provoke anxiety and fear, we won't be walking in peace. Um, I also want to point out um, a third myth that some people may believe, and that is that I can't do it. And to that I would say, why not? We need to look at the barriers in our own life to why we might have low confidence, and find our strength in God because his word says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Um, it's also helpful to have friends in our circle, in our church, loved ones um, that can help us and support us when we're struggling um, and when we feel like we're at the end of our rope. And really above all else, to know and embrace our identity in Christ. That's something that I've I've mentioned on many prior broadcasts that I'm very passionate about, knowing who you are in the Lord and living from that place of identity, true identity in terms of who we are in our new self, in the new man, um, is really where we find ourselves again. And to be able to live from that, um, those truths found scattered throughout Scripture is something that will help us uh, combat the lies of the enemy and combat the these myths that I'm reading for you and describing for you right now. So another myth um, is that if I work hard enough and perform enough, I can keep everything under control. Well, this is obviously a myth because we can't control other people. And in fact, we can do a lot of damage by trying and codependency can come in to that picture as well. For those of you that understand what it means when you try to control somebody else's emotions and their actions. Um, and we certainly can't control God, um, but we can find real freedom by giving over control to God. So when we give over control to him and say, Lord, you take over, I'm giving you control of my life, that's where we find freedom. And we can really launch ourselves out into areas of uncertainty um, and when we do that, we have to remember that God is our safety net. So if he calls us to take a leap of faith, 
and we know it's him calling us, um, we, we have to always remember that even if we fall, he has a safety net under us to catch us. And um, so as we walk out our salvation with fear and trembling, there will be times when we're called to step out in faith. Um, or operate in times of uncertainty, but it's so key that we understand that he's always with us and he's always there to catch us. Um, another myth might say one person can't make a difference in the world. So in other words, just one person can't make any difference. That gets to a fatalistic belief that says, well, then why bother trying at all? Um, and I would say to that to look in the Bible and look at how many examples there are about just one person who made a tremendous difference in um, history. And especially as I alluded to before, in our current situation, in our nation, in our world, it's especially important right now for us as believers to be strong and to not be of those who shrink back, um, as Scripture says. And it's important that we make our voices heard um, we are uh, in a, a, an hour and in a day that, that has not been seen before um, on the prophetic and historical timeline, as it were. Um, and so it's important that we don't shrink away and shrink back, but instead that we uh, make our voices heard and stand up for the truth and stand up for God and for his word. Um, another myth is that if I fail, the pain will be terrible and the damage would be irreparable. But with this, I think the anticipation of pain can actually be worse than the pain itself. And an inaction or lack of action is just another form of being passive. And success can really only come through some risk-taking, risk like I was mentioning before, stepping out in faith. So people that fear failure or fear that the pain of it will just be insurmountable, um, that fear is going to hold them back, and that's certainly not going to help them to walk in peace. We have to know that when God orders our steps, even if we take a wrong step, there's grace, and he's there to edit us and pick us back up and refresh us and restore us. Um, the last myth that I'd like to talk about that is uh, really a pattern of unhealthy thinking is worrying and staying in a place of worry. Worry is a very poor substitute for prayer. In fact, it's not even a substitute for prayer. It's almost the antithesis of prayer because worry focuses on the problem, whereas prayer focuses on God and giving the problem over to God so that he can give us the tools to solve it and he can intervene in a situation. Um, as Philippians 4, 6 states, and also Matthew 6, 25 through 34, um, we need to be, instead of staying in a place of worry, um, understanding that giving over our cares to God and casting them onto him, is what's going to help us get move from that place of worry to that place of victory. So, in fact, when you worry, it's almost this picture of we still have our hand on the situation, and God can't put his hand on the situation, so to speak, until we remove our hand. It, all, it also can impede God's working in our lives or in a situation when we continue to fret and worry about something, not to mention what it does to our mental and physical health. 
So many of these myths that I just shared with you are learned at a very early age. They can be a result of childhood trauma um, or some subconscious issues that uh, parents have at times um, maybe um, inadvertently, unknowingly um, caused to become an issue in our lives by the way we were brought up. This is not a blame the parents show. It's just a matter of, you know, they did their best in most cases, and there can be times when we just simply model what was shown. Uh, we, we replicate what was modeled for us, I should say. And unhealthy thinking patterns are rampant. It's, it's a very rare person that has um, a, a healthy approach to all things in life. It's, it's something typically that we have to learn, not something that it comes naturally. So effort has to be put in. So this is why, though, it's helpful to explore, like, early experiences of fear and anxiety that we might have um, uh, gone through in childhood and how that may have influenced how we see the world. And then from there, developing new attitudes about fear and danger and anxiety to help us get to a place of peace. One of our greatest tools um, for mental discipline is scripture memorization because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And Bible passages can help uh, reduce our anxiety-ridden minds. And focusing on that and committing it to memory and then meditating on scripture has had tremendous effects actually uh, at a neurological level in the brain. There's even been studies and scans done um, that have proven this out. There are visible changes in the brains of people who have meditated on and memorized scripture verses um, versus a person who doesn't give any time whatsoever to God or maybe isn't even a believer. Um, and so these scans, different parts of the brain will be lit up in, in different ways. Um, that is fascinating when you're looking at how the living and active word of God affects the human brain. Um, let's continue now to look at the third of the three steps, once again, in God's way uh, to discover peace in your life. So step three, to take action. We talked about step one being prayer, and then we just now stepped, talked about step two being renewing of the mind and dispelling some different cognitive myths. The third step is to take action. So the anxious mind is a mind turned in upon itself, consuming itself with fearful and anxious thoughts. And Paul, in the Word of God, counsels us to put one's mind and body into action towards constructive ends, following godly patterns. And you can do this by looking at situations that examine what your fear looks like and how a life characterized by faith would look in contrast. So you can actually make plans to take small and decisive steps towards a life of faith. And it all starts with our mind and how we view things and the things we choose to focus on in our mind. And this can help reduce fear and anxiety. And I want to say here also that our response to fear is our choice. We might not feel at times that we have a choice to respond, and there are certain situations where fear is a built-in, God-given mechanism when there is legitimate danger facing us. And when we feel fear, it, it immediately 
forces us into action. But I'm talking about the type of irrational fear right now where we catastrophize or we're fatalistic or we imagine a situation to be much more than it really is. It's our choice to do that. So that means that we can unlearn it. That's a learned behavior, and that means we can unlearn it. So we can either face fear passively and become a victim of it, or we can take on fear actively and become its enemy. We can face fear by challenging it and forcing it to work for us, thus drawing us closer to God. And like I said, fear really is part of the normal human experience in many situations. And as I said, it's, again, at times it's healthy and it's a God-given ability to detect and deal with a perceived threat. So it can be like an inner warning system within each of us. A healthy or rational fear, a rational fear, alerts us that something could be wrong and prepares us to respond. But when fear and anxiety are exaggerated and they become irrational and harmful and out of proportion, that's when it becomes unhealthy and limits our ability to think clearly. So exaggerated fear is to our lives. It drains our spiritual strength and it clouds our judgment. We can look at exaggerated fears this way. If we were equipped with binoculars, as an example, it tends to magnify dangers that are a great distance away, making small threats appear larger. So that's what exaggerated fear is. Normal fear reacts, but exaggerated fear overreacts. Let's look now at some ways to prevent panic as we continue to walk, uh, pursue walking in peace. So you can simply say within yourself to stop if you're having a particular thought pattern that's unproductive and stressful. Um, in your mind, you can cut it off. Uh, this has to do with mind renewal and the mind being the battlefield um, and using uh, the weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal, but which are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. So when we are doing battle in the battlefield of our mind, we are to use um, the weapons of our warfare, which are uh, illustrated for us in Ephesians chapter 6, as we, if we need a refresher on what the um, elements of our spiritual warfare consist of. That's a great chapter to, to reread. So we have to deliberately refuse with the help of the Holy Spirit, to let our mind think in the direction of magnified or amplified fears. And we have to be vigilant about this and asking the Holy Spirit to help us notice when we start to go off in that direction in our mind is very helpful because sometimes we'll be halfway down the road before we're even realizing what we're thinking about. And then all of a sudden fear, the emotion will creep in and, and then that can lead to, to action. So we want the Holy Spirit to be part of our process as we renew our mind. Um, you can take your thoughts and the fearful thoughts captive and obedience to Christ and replace them with positive thoughts, not just in a positive thinking type of uh, propagandizing tool, but in terms of scripture um, that would help in a particular situation. For example, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So people that are prone to anxiety attacks often inadvertently talk themselves into them. 
So at the slightest sign of anxiety, they get anxious about being anxious. So this is something known as compounded feelings. When you're feeling one thing and then you have a, a feeling about that original feeling, you're compounding your feelings, which basically means it's more difficult to untangle and to get back to um, neutral, so to speak, where you can operate from a place of being rational. So you can stop this downward spiral and say to yourself, um, so what? This is only a particular situation. I'm feeling this way now, but I don't need to let fear have power over me. Turn this into a prayer at that point, asking the Lord to give you that strength to overcome that fear. Um, also try to be careful of the what ifs. A lot of people will go to worst case scenario, what ifs in their lives. And often people's fears aren't well thought through. They leap into anxiety before looking to see if it's even warranted in a given situation. We tend to go to that worst case scenario. We go from A to Z without doing the other 24 letters of the alphabet. It's just a quick jump and that can be really detrimental and debilitating for people that suffer with panic attacks, for example. Um, So something that you can do physically is to do deep breathing um, when there's anxiety. Um, I say inhale to a count of 10, hold your breath for a count of 10, and exhale to a count of 10. It kind of does some element of resetting um, in your mind when you do that. It's kind of like hitting a quick reset button on some level. It's by no means cure-all, but it does help get you kind of back into more of a, a grounded place. Um, And then you can look at the situation realistically and say, okay, what's really likely to happen here? And what's what's unrealistic about how I'm thinking about this? What steps can I take to prevent um, going off the deep end with this topic? And what steps can I take to respond helpfully to this perceived threat? And then submit that, uh, your, your thoughts and your fears, to the Lord. So as we pursue the path to peace, uh, let's look briefly now at some attitudes that you can take if you struggle with fear and anxiety frequently. Uh, First of all, don't condemn yourself for feeling fear or anxiety. Your heart might condemn you, but the Lord never condemns his children. It's not how he operates. We are not um, to to come under condemnation. The enemy of our soul condemns not the Lord. He will bring conviction and he provides help and strength and grace. So these are important um, warning signals of danger um, if we are feeling fear and they can be God-given and they call for a response in certain situations. But when they become out of balance, like I said before, over, uh, you know, when we get into an overreaction, then that's when we start to see a problem. Um, I always say to patients, excess is the devil's playground. When we're out of balance in any area of our lives, that's a sign that the enemy can bring in his unwanted influence. Um, when you're off in either ditch and you're not staying on the, the sure footing of the straight path, you're off in either ditch, we're vulnerable then. We're, we're vulnerable to uh, the demonic uh, influence to try to pull us even further off the path. So instead of responding out of fear and anxiety, we need to respond on the basis of trust in God. And this is a key, uh, especially in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where we're not to lean on our own understanding, 
uh, but instead we are to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. That's the response. When we don't understand something, that's the response we can have when we're afraid is to trust. And that's that's a high order, it's a tall order for a lot of us, but that is what the Lord instructs us to do. Um, And you've probably heard before, too, that healing takes time. Understanding the principles of living free from fear and anxiety is a huge first step, but you have to live them out day by day. So give yourself time to overcome patterns that have likely taken you years and years to develop. It won't change overnight. This is a process and commit to a strategy um, to renew your mind into new patterns of faith in your life. You can't unlearn something overnight that took you so long to learn. So it's a process. Mind renewal is a process. And remember that God is a God of the journey. So often we just want to get to the finish line and just be done and get that outcome and be free. But God doesn't necessarily view it the same way we do. He's a God of the journey, not necessarily just the destination. He's more interested in our heart attitude and how we grow in a trial than necessarily us getting to the finish line as quick as we can. So as you prepare yourself to take on these challenges, I just uh, encourage you to be patient with yourself and give yourself grace because it is a process. Also, we can respond to God by obedience in the area of submitting our fears to him, meaning putting our fears under his control, under his sovereignty. So we know that we may have to face fear if we want to live life where the growth is and where God can use us to our full potential. We can try to begin to consider it pure joy when trials start us uh, start to cause us to become anxious or fearful. Um, because that is then an opportunity for Christ to be made strong in our weaknesses. And as James says in James 1, 3, and 4, you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So another way towards maturity in these areas is not that we don't ever fail. It's that we continue to learn how to recover and be resilient after we have purportedly failed. And that word in and of itself, I think, has a really shaming stigma. I prefer to say miss the mark, um, which is the actual definition of sin. It's an archery term that means to miss the mark. But um, failure in the sense of not achieving the goals that we hoped we wanted to or um, to have missed the mark in some way. So the Apostle Peter gives us a really encouraging example. We're familiar with his life. When he panicked in fear and he three times denied Christ, he fled in tears in the dark of the night, but he still felt his Lord's love for him and he remembered his Lord's words. Luke 22:32 says, I have prayed for you, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brethren. So Peter, humbled but yet still eager to please the Lord, was commissioned to leadership in the church. And he served with courage and boldness. And we might also say that he served for the most part. So God took that entire situation and once again worked it for good. Uh, It can be a challenge to find 
a person in our lives that could help be a mentor to us in this area in terms of walking in peace, overcoming fear and anxiety. But if you have such a person in your life and they're available, it can be a really valuable um, experience to partner with someone that can help you walk through this. And if you find somebody that can mentor you in this way, um, you can really grow in this area as you learn to live from a platform of peace. Um, if there's someone in your life that you know of that seems to always be very steady and even keel and um, doesn't live under the um, the power of fear and anxiety, but you can see the peace of God through that person. Um, it's also God created us as relational beings. So it's great to surround ourselves with people that are going to help us be transformed from glory to, to glory and set that example for us in our own lives. Um, so I encourage that also. And as we begin to wrap up tonight, uh, just to talk a bit about the nature of fear, the nature of fear and anxiety is that it focuses all our attention on two things. First of all, the source of danger or perceived threat. And secondly, on our own feelings and needs. And this kind of dual focus really prevents us from giving ourselves to fully serve and meet the needs of others. So a focus on meeting the needs of others can actually keep us from concentrating on our own fears and feelings and anxiety. So sometimes the solution is found outside of ourselves. When you're having a really bad day and you say, you know what, today I'm going to go and choose to serve someone else that's in need, you get your mind off yourself, and you'd be amazed what that can do to pull you out of an attitude of anxiety. Um, so let's wrap up looking at ways that we can walk in peace and ways to fight fear and anxiety in your life. And I just briefly have five weapons with scripture verses that are critical in fighting fear, um, and those are courage, stability, perspective, comfort, and hope. So if you do have a pen, I'm going to go through these rather quickly. Um, the first weapon against fear and towards courage, and the Bible references um, that I wrote down here for that is Psalm 31, 24. It talks about how we can have courage. The next one is stability, and that's found in Psalm 62. The third one is perspective. There's a good passage on that in Romans 5 verses 2 through 5. And for comfort, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7 talks about that. And finally, hope, 1 John 3, 1 through 3 discusses hope. So each one of these five weapons against the anxiety are very important as we seek to overcome fear in our lives and let peace reign in us and peace to lead us forward. So I encourage you, if you had an opportunity to write those down, that you would look them up. And this broadcast, as are all the broadcasts, um, uh, is available uh, for on-demand listening after the live airing wraps up tonight. You can go back and, and listen to this at a later point if you want to uh, receive the information a second time, as I realize I'm going through a lot tonight. And